We're in 2 Corinthians. Good morning. Did I say good morning? Good morning. I did, and, you, and I ignored you. I'm sorry. Good morning. Um, get out your Bible. Get out your phone, your iPad. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're at in our series from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, which we're calling Renovation, an identity under construction. If you are willing to be honest, I think you will agree with me, and you can raise your hand and say, Sometimes, on some days, in some circumstances, I get a little confused about who I really am to God, right? This world, things happening in our own lives, in our health, in our, um, our financial situation, our relationships, our city, our state, our country, this world, there's just those moments where like, why am I here? And what am I to be? And right away the Holy Spirit reminds me of truths about my identity. It's easy to get confused about what our identity is in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a very specific identity in him. You have a very specific identity to him. He sees you and me in a very specific way. And we have a clear identity in who we are for him. You still with me? Okay. You glad to be here? Okay. All right, good. Even though we're talking about money. Okay. And we're talking about money because the Bible talks about money. Specifically in the book of, we've been in it for, uh, we've been talking about money for a couple of weeks because Paul is on this little middle section of his book. He really wants to clarify some things. And so part of our renovation, part of my identity that God wants to reconstruct so that it aligns with him is my relationship to stuff, to things, to the physical world. I have time, so do you. We all have the same amount. We have treasure of different amounts, possessions and income and money, and then we have talent of different amounts. But we all have some talent, some skills, some ability, some capacity that God has created us or in us. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, let me remind you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body. So that every one of us has spiritual gifts in Christ, that's who we are in him. We have spiritual gifts that are not for me, but they're for you, and yours are for me. Because we are a body. And I think we all know, no matter how old you are, you know that for a body to be healthy, all the parts need to be functioning according to their design. My heart needs to do what the heart needs to do. And that's a big one, right? We get it. And my liver and my kidney, my brain, oh, Did God mess up there? My brain needs to function as God designed it to function. But there's also these other little things that people don't give a bunch of attention to that are equally vital to the body being healthy. Right? You ever kicked your toe, stubbed your toe, and hurt your toe really bad? Yeah, you, you, you don't just go on with life as normal. That little pinky toe that's tucked away in your shoes and your sock Kick it into the foot of the bed one night and see how the next day goes. The whole body. No, don't, yeah. I was just going to leave it out there and see what we get next week. People would come back and go, hey, I learned something. So we know that God has us in a body. 
And for the body to be healthy, all the parts need to be functioning as designed. So the renovation that God wants to do in you and me, the identity, is I need to know what I am in the body. I need to know what my, my design is, my identity, in him and in relationship to you. This morning, we want to call this the ministry of generosity. I told you we're talking about money. He's still talking about money. And Paul's big word when it comes to financial things, or time, talent, and treasure, let's apply it across the board, is this concept of generosity. What exactly is generosity and what does it look like? So I had some questions I thought about this week. Why is generosity so important? And I'm not going to answer them right now. Hopefully the Spirit of God will answer the questions, these questions that we individually need to hear to have answered. You may not care about all of these, you may not be engaging all of these, but I think all of us, there's something up here in these questions that we can go, oh yeah. Why is generosity so important to Paul? Why is generosity so important to the Spirit of God that he led him to write these words? Why is generosity so important to God? I wanna know that. And why should I give away what I have? Why should I give away what's been, I mean, it, some of it came pretty with challenges, right? And a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. I'll admit other things were given to me. God's given me things. Ultimately, he's the provider of all things. But the way that we think as human beings, and it goes all the way back to when we're kids. You ever watch a couple of three-year-olds? I have a couple of grandsons that are in that three, four, five range and put a bunch of toys on the floor. More than enough toys, because that's how grandma rolls. More than enough toys all over the floor and they're just gonna be you know, at peace and have fun for the next six hours. They don't last 60 seconds. We're like, give me that, you know. And, and what does Papa do? Papa comes in and what's the word that I always say? Share, share. And they look at me like, you're an idiot. What do you mean share? Why would I give away what I finally got a hold of? Why does God consistently, persistently ask me to give away what I have? Why should I care? It's a full-time job worrying about me and my family and my needs, my finances, my housing, the things that I want. I've been, you know what I've been consumed with the last couple of weeks? Is a trailer, our trailer that we're going to go camping. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You know, I mean, I went to Amazon and I, I still have a long, you know, the list thing you can put all the things in there. You know, uh, buying a tra having a trailer is like having a second home. And I'm just been, oh man, I got, and I'm not thinking about everyone else that's going to be at family camp. That's their problem. I got to just focus on is the generator going to work and is there, and just, is there food and why should I care? Why should I share my time, talent, and treasure with other people? Because I'm a full-time job. Ask my wife. Why is it important to embrace the eternal over the temporal? And that's really the undergirding of this whole section. It's the question of what is most important to me. Is it the physical, the here and now, the temporal? And that's important, right? My body, our health our shelter, our surroundings, this is important. But why should I embrace the internal or make the eternal or see the eternal as more important than the temporal? Now the Sunday school question answer, right? Well, of course, it's eternal, that makes sense. But living it out is the real question. God, help me to understand why the eternal comes before 
the temporal. All right, here's our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 6. Last week we finished at chapter 5, or verse 5, and if you remember, and if you weren't here or don't remember, go watch it online. Pastor Matt taught through verse 5, and and Paul is, in those first five verses of chapter 9, are a continuation of chapter 8, where he's just saying, you know what, this is really important that you follow through on the gift that you said you would give. Do you remember the circumstances? Corinth is in Achaia, Macedonia, there's a bunch of churches, and they're both wanting to give a gift to who? To the church in Jerusalem because of the persecution under the Roman rule. And so it was a season where he says, you have and they don't, and Corinth and other churches in Achaia said, hey, we want to be a part of that. We want to be generous. We want to give to our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And Paul wraps up the section before by saying, we're coming and we're sending people and we want to make sure it's not just something you say you want to do, but it's actually something you do. And Paul says, when I get there, the first thing I want to do, I don't want to get there and talk about, okay, where's the gift? And, and make you feel guilty and extort or make sure you do it. He says, I want you to take care of that and have it ready. I want you to follow through on what you said you would do. And then he says this. He says, I want you to remember, the person who sows sparingly also will reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity. For God loves, say it with me. The Greek word is hilaros. Does that sound like anything in English? Yeah, that's what I sat in my office and went, this is hilarious, you know? God wants us to just be over the top excited when we give. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work, in everything that you do for him. As it is written, and now he's gonna quote from Psalm 112, Verse 9, and he's talking about people. He's not talking about God in this particular sentence. He's talking, Psalm 112 talks about the righteous life and the consequences of living a righteous life. And in verse 9, he talks about finances. As it is written in Psalm 112, he, the one, the person who scattered, he gave to the poor. He scattered, he spread out his, his resources. He gave to the poor, and his righteousness, his reputation, his righteous actions endure forever. Now, let's talk about God, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food, will provide, and he will multiply your seed, and he will increase the harvest of your finances, of your righteousness. Yeah, interesting. He's putting in context this idea of reaping and sowing and reaping. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. You will be funded, you'll be supplied, provided for in every way for all generosity. You will be equipped and empowered to be generous in all areas of your life. God will do that, which results or produces thanksgiving to God through us. Us meaning Paul and his team, the leaders of the church in that century. We could go home right now, isn't that good? Some of you got what you needed this morning, but let's unpack it a little bit. Generosity is the external expression of an internal faith. What I do with my time, talent, and treasure, the outward, is the result of what's happening inside of me. Primarily, my faith 
or if I can say it this way, my picture of God, or who I believe God to be. There's an amazing picture of God here, is there not? This principle of sowing and reaping is laid out, and then he describes how the one who will take care of the one who is sowing, the one who's willing to invest generously, God will do certain things. And so my giving, my generosity of time, talent, or treasure is the external result or the external outcome expression of my faith or who I believe God to be. My giving reflects my inner picture of God. Can you say amen to that? If it's true. What I do with my time, my talent, and my treasure is a reflection of who I see God to be. If I see him as distant and uncaring, I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah? If I see him as, as someone who is punitive and, and punishing, and he's, he's like that, that, you know, that marshal that's looking to gun me down anytime I break the law, then I'm going to be deceptive and hide, and I'm going to try to get away with what I can get away with. If I see God as faithful and I see him as trustworthy and I see him as the one who provides, the one that will not only take care of me financially and physically, but he will bring a harvest of righteousness if I live my life for him. He will bring fruit from my obedience to him. You see that? And if I believe that to be true, it's going to show up in what I do with my time, treasure, and talent. My giving reflects my inner picture of God. We become generous. And we've talked about this at, at a church at Crossroads, this church a lot, about being generous. And we'll even talk more this morning. But how exactly do we define generous? And the way that we talk about it here is I, it's none of my business how much you give because I don't know. I can't tell you what's generous for you. It's going to be different, right? Remember Jesus, is, and Jesus and his disciples? Sorry, Mike. Jesus and his disciples, that's Mike. You guys don't know about Mike? Um, he was with his disciples, and somebody comes and gives a whole bunch of money, and then the widow comes and gives a tiny bit, and Jesus says she was more generous than the other one. Like, what? Wait a minute. She only gave a half penny. So how do we define generous? Well, let me suggest that we become generous when our giving requires faith. Our friend and elder, Don Hirth, calls it this. He says, sometimes we come and we tip God. We give them a tip. You know, you came this morning, we got these boxes over here, you don't even know they're there, do you? There's these little boxes, and there's one that are for our offering, if we're doing it physically instead of, you know, online, electronically. And you see that, and you go, oh, today was good. That was a good meal, yeah. You walk over, let's see, what's, what's the 15%? What did I pay to get in here? Oh, no, that doesn't work. You know, and then we tip God. This afterthought, this oh yeah, I better do that, or we do it out of compulsion or guilt or whatever. Generosity, maybe we can define it, is when it takes faith for me to give God my time, my talent, or my treasure. Maybe generosity happens, and I become generous like that, that person in Psalm 112 when, wow, this is, this is gonna be tough to give this time. This person wants to meet for coffee and I know what they want to talk about and I'd rather do anything other than sit down with them and talk about their relationship with God and encourage. I'd rather go do anything else but I'm going to give this time to God and I'm going to 
or working, serving in the children's group or in the youth group, working in the fireworks booth. The last thing I want to do on an afternoon is sit in a little oven called a fireworks box and, you know, roast in there. But, you know, we're doing this because we believe that our young people and our kids, their lives are going to be transformed next week or in two weeks at Hume Lake. 50, 51 kids and staff are, are heading down there for a week to in, engage God in his Holy Spirit and have fun and develop relationships and hear from God. And that is the eternal, and that is important, and I believe God is still the God who does that. So you know what? I'm going to give some time by faith to go work in the fireworks booth. That is being generous. So maybe we can define generous by Faith, our giving requires faith. And finally, giving is always about faith. It should always be about faith. It should never be about guilt or compulsion. I pray that, and and we work on this, we are intentional about this, I pray that you never experience at crossroads, people up front, you know, beating you over the head saying, you better give, you better give more, you better give, and guilting or trying to persuade people to give. Paul's intent in Corinthians and my intent this morning is not to try to persuade us to do anything. My heart is to encourage us to open up our hearts and to hear from God and let God say, this is my word, this is my truth. Now you apply it. You take a look at your life. Is my giving characterized by faith whether it's time, talent, or treasure? Do I sit down and say, okay, humanly speaking, it makes sense to give 50 cents this month. I've been there. I've looked at the numbers and went, oh, okay, humanly speaking, it, yeah, but is that what giving is about? Or is it about my faith in who I believe God to be? Giving is always about faith. Now, these are our four giving principles that we talk about here at Crossroads. What's really cool, and I did not know this until I studied, they're all over in different passages, but they're all here in this section. Did you hear the word generosity? He says we should give generously, don't give sparingly, which means stingy. Do you remember that? Remember? A person who's so sparingly or has a tight grip and is stingy eh, just a little bit will also reap sparingly. The person who sows, invests generously will also reap generously. And so we have the principle of giving generously. Again, I can't define that for you. You can't define it for me. But maybe we have a little more clarity this morning in that generosity can be defined by it requires faith. If my giving does not require faith, then maybe I'm not being generous. There's also the principle, besides generosity, of intentionally. Did you see that? He says, don't give grudgingly. Don't give because you feel pressure to. Give according to how you've determined or purposed in your heart. That's intentional. That's sitting down. The Old Testament paints the picture like this. Intentionality is that you give to God in what order? When you're looking at your budget and your bills and your needs, where does God fit into the order? It's pretty clear, right? In the Old Testament, he gets the first. And then I, what do I bring him? Do I bring him the leftovers? You know those little styrofoam things in your fridge that every restaurant gives you? So when guests come to your house, you go, what are we going to do? Let's get out those little styrofoam things. And, well, there's no mold. Let's do that. Let's give them that. Or do you go, what, what is the best thing that we have? Where's Becky? What's the best thing? Because I don't, I, charcuterie boards. That's my cooking skill. I love that. 
but what, what can you, oh, your spaghetti, let's do that. Well, that means you gotta go to the store and get the hot Italian sausage. First thing, I, okay, I'll go do it. Because we wanna give our guest our, our best. That's through the Old Testament. That's what it means to be intentional, is God's not an afterthought. We don't tip him, he gets it first and he gets our best. And Paul says here in the New Testament to the Corinthian church, don't do it for any other reason other than you have decided. You have been intentional, you've purposed, you've committed to. This is what generosity looks like for Becky and I. And so we're gonna do this. He says, give like that. Don't give out of compulsion or guilt. And then he talks about joyfully or hilariously. The, the, the literal translation would, God loves the one who is joyful as they give. So what should happen on Sunday morning, when we're dismissed later, we should see at least a couple of people go into these boxes over here going, <laughs> yes, and no, don't do that, please. And I just realized I'm not allowed to dance, I'm sorry, honey. That really wasn't a dance, was it? It wouldn't qualify. Joyfully, with just a sense of, I get to give to him because he's made it possible for me to give to him. Don't get hung up, don't get stuck on, oh, it's only a half cent. The widow, right? Or I only have, because of my finances, I lost my job or times are tight. We get so fixated on the numbers, which is why our deacons, including Veronica this morning, it's not about the numbers. Did you hear that? It was really about stepping up and engaging, doing, doing this intentionally, doing our giving generously, intentionally, and with joy. Whatever the amount is, I get to give because God made it possible. And so I'm gonna give with hilarious joy. And then he says consistently, he says, you know what? God will be present and his grace will be available in every, he says it so much better. The one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide, multiply your seed, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. God will be present in every moment, in every circumstance, in every need. And so he says give consistently. Every moment is an opportunity. Every paycheck, every blessing Anybody part of the 600 million or whatever it was for the, anyone? And we do have, we're gonna take a picture, so if you just raise your hand. No, okay. That was a joke. No, okay. You don't get it? If you won 100 million dollars, we wanna know that, so we can, no. Because we won't, we won't coerce or pressure. Just give consistently. In each moment that God provides, it should be, you know the alarms you put on your phone to remember things that you forget ultimately anyways? There, it should be an alarm on our phone that goes, oh, God just blessed me. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna give. God just freed up some time. I wanna give. God just it, it made it clear to me what my talent, what my ability is. I wanna use it for him. Consistently, in every way, in every moment. You with me still? You still glad we're talking about money? Generously, intentionally, joyfully, consistently. Here's the second main thought this morning. Generosity is God's path to gratitude and contentment. That doesn't make sense to me, but it's very clear in this text. The person who sows sparingly is also gonna reap sparingly. Is there joy in a, in a, in a, a minimal harvest? 
No, there isn't. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow, all of his, his goodness and work, and it's grace. It's not owed to us. It's his grace that he pours into our life so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. And then he goes on to talk about gratitude and thanksgiving. And notice that it's not just in me. It creates my generosity. Living generously is gonna create gratitude and thankfulness in the lives of other people. Generosity is the path to gratitude and contentment. You hoard, you hold on, you, and, and we put nice names on it. You know, I'm a control freak. And so I'm just controlling my finances. I'm just being responsible in my finances. And there's a place, right, for that, certainly. But sometimes it's just a, a nice coding for me wanting to be in control and hold tight and, and make sure that I got what I want or what I got coming to me. And that will never produce gratitude and contentment. It won't. You'll never have enough. We have countless examples in the word of God and in our world, right, of people. Just one more dollar, just one more dollar, just one more, just one nicer, one, the new model. It never brings contentment and gratitude. Paul says being generous is God's path to contentment. Doesn't make sense, does it? But it's his word and I believe it. Don't be deceived. Some of you know this verse. In Galatians, don't be deceived. This is Paul writing to the church and the churches in Galatia. Don't be deceived. God's not fooled for whatever a person sows, however you sow, whatever you sow, that's the way you're gonna reap. If you plant corn, what do you get? Okay, if you plant weeds, what do you get? Yeah. However you sow, you reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh, and here's the spiritual lesson, if you sow for self, if you invest your time, talent, and treasure for your own satisfaction, your own gratification, what you want, you will reap, the harvest will be destruction from the flesh. The very thing that you invest in will destroy you. You see that? If I invest heavily in my job because that's what, I, you know, that's what I, I want out of life and I want to move ahead and work and I want to climb the ladder and I want to make the money and so I invest in my job. What is it that's going to destroy me? My job. My physical gratification. My reputation. My fame. How people see. You can, put, you can put whatever you want. If it's connected to the flesh, Paul says, if you sow to that, that is what will actually destroy you in the end. God will let you get a harvest of what you invest in. He's consistent with that, guys. You invest in the flesh, you sow to the flesh, he will give you, he will allow you to have a harvest of the flesh and it will destroy you. If you invest in the spirit, the one who sows to the spirit, he will consistently then give you and me a harvest of eternal life, real life, and it will come from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing good. Let's not get tired of giving generously, intentionally, joyfully, and consistently. Nobody else but me? There's, time, there's days when that is really a chance. There's pay periods, right? There, there are seasons. 
where that is really, really hard. And it makes a whole lot more sense for me not to give this away and keep it for my benefit, my marriage, and for my kids and grandkids. I'm gonna hang on to it. He says, don't give up. Remember, giving is about faith. Don't lose your faith that God is going to consistently bring a harvest into our lives. If I'm sowing selfishly to the flesh, he will allow that consistently to happen. And one day you will read about Kurt Pearson being destroyed by his investing in the flesh. You know what I'm talking about? How many pastors have we had in the last decade that we read about him in the headlines? God says, okay, you you invest in the flesh. You invest in your popularity. You invest in your ego. You invest in your physical gratification. You invest in whatever is connected to the flesh. And God says, I will consistently allow you to harvest from that because you will always reap what you sow. Don't be fooled. We can't pull one over on God. And he will consistently allow it to play out. And then we see the shrapnel from him. But he's just as consistent in bringing a harvest into our lives through the Spirit of God when we invest in the internal. When we are generous with what he's given us to invest in his kingdom, we sow to the Spirit. He will consistently bring a harvest into our lives of life. You with me? I pray that we believe that. Our giving is about faith. I pray that our faith is strong enough to say, I believe this. And so I'm never going to get tired of doing good because I know that I'll reap at the proper time, his time, if I don't give up. If I don't lose hope on these principles of generosity. So give with the same generosity you've received. Maybe for some of us, we need to pause and go, well, how have I received? How has God invested in my life? See this cross back here? Let's start there in answering the question. Give with the same generosity you've received. 2 Corinthians, the rest of our text this morning, verse 12. The ministry, the ministry of this service, what is that? It's this whole discussion he's been having about churches giving for the benefit of other churches. This ministry of grace, this ministry of generosity. It's a service. The church is in Macedonia, the church is in Achaia, and they're collecting this gift, and Paul's got a process all in place so that he can, eventually he will take that. It'll be taken to the, the Christians in Jerusalem that have lost everything and their needs will be met from the generosity of brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. This ministry of service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, that's true, right? This is gonna be a big deal for the, for the folks in Jerusalem, but it's also overflowing, it's much bigger than that, into many acts of thanksgiving to God. And we could stop there and go, wow, that should be motivation enough for me to use whatever he's given me so that God would receive thanksgiving that people would see God in a certain way. Remember that picture that I have in my head? If that picture in my head is that God is good and he's full of grace and I just I want to give to him from that picture, I also want other people to have that same picture of God. I want other people to go, God is good. I don't get it, I understand it. This world's a mess, but somehow I believe God is good, he's faithful. And I have evidence in my life of how he, and so we got a gift from these people up in, in Achaia, in Corinth. And all I heard about Corinth is it was like a terrible city and it's, ugh, you never want to go there for vacation. And here's a gift from brothers and sisters in Corinth that are now here so we can have food for our family. Thank you, God. Wow. You knew of our need and you're working in those people we've never met to, wow, thank you, God. Do you see? 
It overflows. It's so much bigger than you and me. And ultimately, I want other people to give thanks to God. I want the people of this world. I want the people in my family, the people in my neighborhood. I want us to be grateful, thankful people that we're acknowledging God's goodness. And Paul says, that's what this is about. Supplying the needs of the saints, it's also about overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. They glorify God for your obedience. I don't know if I ever thought about giving that way. That when I, my wife and I, there's these little pieces of paper called checks. Anybody know what those are? I have these little things in my closet with these. I can just tear them out and I can write on there. And it doesn't matter if you have money or not. You can just write them and give them to people. Well, no, I shouldn't do that. You write this little piece of paper and I choose to do that because I want a physical thing. And so I come in when nobody's in the office and we have a drawer in there where things go, a locked drawer. And I walk in there and I take this piece of paper and I, I slide it in there. And I go, thank you, God, and I give it to God. And she does step up. She asks, what are we giving? And so we do it together. They will glorify God for your obedience. I I put that check in there on our behalf, and okay, God, we're gonna give, and this is what we believe is generous. We've we've, we've predetermined. This This is our intentional gift to you, and we give it to you. I don't know if I've ever thought about the outcome of that being other people glorifying God. I don't know if, and on a human level, that connection is made. What happened at Freedom Celebration on Sunday night? I'm sure the people that came and had the free popcorn and the free snow cones and got to ride the train with the really awesome conductor, conductors, you know, who paid for all that? Who supplied all that, all that stuff in the bounce house? Who bought the bounce houses back in the day when we got the bounce houses? It was all a result of people generously giving their time, their talent, and their treasure. And the reason we do a freedom celebration or we do a fireworks booth or we do the trunk or treat or whatever it might be, the park on Wednesday night, is so that other people would glorify God as a result of our obedience to give generously to him. Do you see the connection? So when you write that check or you stop by and you put money in that box or you have it set up, and if you have it set up automatically, great, that's awesome, that's intentional, that's consistent, but don't forget about that. Engage that moment every time that goes from your account to the check. Pause and just say, God, this is my gift to you. We don't have to physically do it, but don't miss that moment that the ultimate outcome is that other people would bring glory to God because I gave. That's his point. They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel. Whoa, Paul went there, didn't he? He connected my giving to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't write this. So don't accuse me of beating us over the head with this. You with me? You still smiling? He went there. He connected my giving to his glory and obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. The proof provided by this service. There was a day when people showed up in Jerusalem with money and they, gave, they distributed it to the church. There's the proof of this service. It was churches up north or northwest in Achaia and Macedonia who said, we wanna help. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that. No, he's here and here's the money. Go buy food for your family. Go take care of each other. Wow, it's real. The proof of the service is that gift arriving in Jerusalem. They will have deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God. They see that gift as the grace of God in you. Thanks, and here's how he concludes the section on money. Thanks be to God for his indescribable 
gift. And I believe the gift he's speaking of is the gospel, specifically God's grace to us. So here's the final thought. My time is done. Generosity is a catalyst for gospel momentum. If we want the gospel to spread, if we want to see people come to faith, if we want to see lives transform, and again, I'm not, this is not guilt, this is not compulsion, this is just the reality the truth that God says he uses our generosity and time, talent, and treasure to build momentum for the gospel. It goes forth and people see it and they realize and they give the truth and they give glory to God. When we think about the gospel, here's the question. When we think about the gospel, the reality that Jesus died on the cross for this broken world, and through faith in him, we can be transformed. I can go from the kingdom of darkness, I can be transformed into the kingdom of the son that the father loves. I can go from lost to found. I can be given new life. When I think about the gospel, do I think scarcity? You know what I mean by scarcity? There's just not enough. It's kind of lost its significance. Yeah, these are changing times. We need to kind of keep, you know, we got those four cans of beans in 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 the cupboard. We got to hang on to those, what we got. Or do we think generosity? When we think of the gospel and our calling to make disciples and give our lives to the gospel, do we think generously? My time, my talent, my treasure is not my own. Well, life is tough, things are tough, times are tough. I better hang on, I better better reevaluate. I promise you, everything I've found in scripture tells me that God never thinks scarcity, he always thinks generously, always. In the garden, sweating drops as it were sweat as it were drops of blood and he said father if there's any other way can i pull back from this is there some other way to do this this is going to be so costly no not my will but your will be done maybe that's the definition of generosity maybe that's the model of, de- of generosity i don't know how i'm going to do this i don't know this is going to be really hard and i really don't let's be honest i don't want to do this i don't want to give my time my talent my treasure I'm thinking scarcity. I'm thinking what's mine is mine. And I don't have enough, so I'm going to hang on to it. God never thinks that way. When he looks at you and me, he looks at our lives, he never thinks scarcity. He always thinks generously. What can I give? How can I give good gifts? All right, our time is up. If you want to take a picture, I'll let you take a picture. Oh, too late. No, just kidding. Ministry of generosity engages the needs outside of ourselves. This ministry of generosity stirs up gratitude and praise for God. This ministry of generation brings glory to God, not us. And if we're honest, for some of us, that's the problem. Nice car, nice house, nice car, all these things I want brings attention and glory to who? Me, not God. The ministry of generosity fulfills the greatest commandment. Would you agree? Love God with all that you are, all that you have, time, talent, treasure, and then love your neighbor as yourself in the same way. And the ministry of generosity makes the grace of God undeniable. I I hope to interview or have a conversation with some of those saints first century in Jerusalem. I want to know what it felt like when that gift showed up. I want to know what songs did you sing? What songs did they lift up and give praise to God? Can you believe this? The grace of God is undeniable. He's still loving us. He's still watching over us. He's still providing for us. He's still who he's always been. What needs to change? 
And only you can answer this. I can answer it for me and for Becky and I. But what needs to change to move from scarcity thinking to thinking generously? There's some obstacles there. The number one obstacle is who? Yeah, it's me. So start there. How could you start applying the four giving principles? What does it look like to be generous? We've given some indication more this morning of a definition. How do, what does it look like for me to give generously? I can't tell you. The Holy Spirit will tell you. What does it look like for me to give intentionally, desire, commitment, purpose. What does it look like for me to give joyfully? What does hilarious look like for you? Some of you should not dance. Just putting that out there. But what does joy look like for you? And then what does, what's the fourth one? Consistently. What does it look like to be consistent? How can you start applying the four principles of giving? And finally, how does your generosity bring glory to God? If I have not been clear this morning or you haven't heard clearly from the Spirit of God, I challenge you this afternoon to give God some time for you to sit down with him and get a clear picture of what generosity will do for his glory. Little old me and what I have with time, talent, treasure, whatever that might be, what would it look like for me to use that? How would he get glory from me and the spirit of god if he hasn't already will make it very clear to you what generosity looks like in your life and how it brings glory to him i want to ask you to join me for just a moment as we prepare for a time of response this morning we have a moment before us where we're going to have songs that we sing. And I want to encourage you. We, we don't all agree on the songs. I'm sure some are like, well, boy, why are we doing that song? We don't all agree on the volume. We don't all agree on the instrumentation. We don't all agree on the color of the chairs. Amen? Some of you are like, why do we have green chairs? But what we can agree on, wherever you're at spiritually, I just invite you to consider this. What we can come together on is that God is worthy of our praise. And that he is worthy of, of me engaging him in this moment, whether it's through the singing or in a, in a moment you'll be invited to come to the table. If you're a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, he invites you to the table and you'll be invited to do that. There'll be people in the back you can be invited to go pray. You can, you can come here and kneel and deal with God. But respond to whatever God has challenged you with this morning. I pray that you, my voice diminished and you heard from God. You heard his voice speaking specifically to your heart about what this looks like for your life. If we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know we saw this verse a couple of weeks ago, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Folks, what is that? That is the generosity of God. That is the generosity of God. Not scarcity, God's not going, the Father like, well, what are you gonna do? I'll send my son. I'll give the thing that is most precious to me. I won't hold anything back. I'll, I'll, as a father, I'll give the, the greatest gift in the son. Jesus said, I'll go and I'll, and I'll suffer and I'll die. I won't hold anything back. There's no other way. This is going to be horrible. It's going to be hard. It's already been horrible up to this point. But this is what it's going to take to set people free from sin and death. So I'll pay that price. This is the economics of grace. Doesn't make any sense financially. The ledger for you accountant people, the ledgers don't line up. But that's the economics of grace. God is a generous God. 
He never thinks scarcity. He always thinks generously. And he gave his son so that we could be rich. And it's not money, brothers and sisters, right? It's grace. We are rich in God's grace because of his goodness. So I'm gonna, I want to invite my brother. Malili, would you come? And I encourage you, as you hear his voice lifting up to heaven, that we would join with him as one. He's gonna, he's gonna pray for this moment before us and our response to God on our behalf. Don't miss this moment. Enter this moment with a clear picture in your head of God's generosity.